So we have taken five talks to get about a quarter way through the sutta, but it was necessary. Uh, this is the all of the kind of remodeling, some demolitions, some mere cosmetic improvements to your life, your moral life, the views that you have, the way you speak, the way you act. This is the preoccupation of the first 15 to 18 suggestions by the Buddha. But what you need to set in place here for the actual enjoyment of loving kindness. So this is the fuel. Now, you've got this beautiful um, new Brahma Vihara that you've put so much effort into, constructed this dwelling place, the divine dwelling place. And now, how does it move around? What is the fuel? How do you generate it? So this is the next preoccupation. And the Buddha gives you some suggestions, and I will uh, chant a little bit of a, the sutta just to um, refresh your mind on what it is the, the Buddha says in this. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. So often this, that little section is taken as a, as an exercise in directing your loving kindness to each of those kinds of beings, weak and small and large and middling, near, far away, born and to be born. By the way, born and to be born is uh, those who are out of the womb and those are still in the womb. So loving kindness to those in the womb. Next time you see a pregnant lady, radiate loving kindness. <laughs> still in the womb. Uh, they're appreciative in the womb. That, so this is... This, it could be taken that way, and if you want to develop it as, a, as an exercise, but quite often it's a little bit misunderstood. But what is really being said here is it doesn't matter who they are, where they are, or when they are. <laughs> to be born is when. It doesn't matter. So what the Buddha is just saying is don't let any categories uh, be left out that this is unconditional and boundless. It is without bounds. There are no reservations here. There are no exemptions. Every being is included. Once you get that, uh, that's another way of looking at it. Instead of going through systematically, going through categories. And there are these kind of um, categories, all beings to the, to the north, to the south, to the west, to the east above, below, all around. This is uh, quite developed. I think there's a commentary in the Burmese tradition which has 
you know, 500 ways of radiating loving kindness. Uh, but I think that's a bit of a misunderstanding. It just means that there are no directions. There, there are no, there's no directions in space at all or in time, which are excluded from this practice of loving kindness. So if you need some sort of fuel to get you there, you can start with individual beings and work out. Uh, but if not, then you're just radiating out impersonally. And in fact, you're not really thinking of any beings in particular. And when you actually try to imagine all beings together, your imagination will fail, I assure you. <laughs> so what are you doing? <laughs> well, basically, you're just trying to get to the feeling itself. The object doesn't matter. It's the feeling itself. So it's kind of like you turn on a light and the light just falls on whatever beings are there. This is another simile by the Buddha. As the rain falls upon all beings, whether good or evil, it doesn't discriminate. This is uh, actually, you find this in Shakespeare as well. Uh, he, instead of loving kindness, he uses the word mercy. The quality of mercy is not strained, but droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the earth below. So you, there you have this beautiful, similar kind of expression that, that life is hard. Beings make mistakes. They suffer. And mercy is welcome like, like rain is welcome, like water is welcome. And the water and the rain, fortunately, don't discriminate. They fall and just land on whatever being is there. Mercy lands on whatever being is there. And so this is what the Buddha uses the same simile, is that the rain does not discriminate. It just falls, and it doesn't care who it falls on. So this is the, the way to practice, is that you... You can radiate it out, just allowing it as kind of like a light radiating out, the sun radiating on the earth. And, um, and uh, you don't have to strain your imagination with all these beings. However, for some people that is very too abstract and they really need some things to work with. So the Buddha also gives you some options here. And this is uh, one of the uh, ways of developing it as, as well, that loving kindness is like making a fire. And uh, when you make a fire, and by the way, uh, some of you may have never made a fire before. <laughs> and uh, maybe you make it a nice, comfortable fireplace. But I tell you, I've spent a lot of time out in very cold weather, winter weather, rainy weather, camping and so forth. And to start a fire is uh, a very important skill and uh, you will learn. And one of the classic experiences of starting a fire in the wet, and the cold, is that you, you really want it to get, get going and you're a bit, a bit hasty and so usually it goes out on you because you're in such a rush. But eventually you learn that however cold or shaky you are, you must take your time. And you must start with dry tinder, something very easy to start, something like 
birch bark or dry, very dry twigs, and you set it up properly and you take your time and you light and you're patient with this because it's the beginning fire that makes the next level of the fire. And so you learn and you will then be able to do it every time, but you can't do it in haste. And so I'm giving you a bit of a simile that quite often in life you are cold, wet and shaking and you're in haste to provide yourself with some heat. And so you look for some means of generating this positive emotion of loving kindness. Take your time, start with dry tinder. What is dry tinder? That is that which allows you to generate the feeling at all. Don't start with difficult things. You're in a, you're in a culture, more or less a post-Christian culture, where still phrases like love your enemies is um, echoing in the air. Don't start with your enemies. You will put the fire out for sure. Where should you start? Wherever you can get it going. And so sometimes it's, it's somebody in your family that you really uh, get along with well. Sometimes it's a friend or children or even uh, puppies, kittens, etc. So it doesn't matter. This is all, it's not some sort of exam that you're doing. It's just a, a way of generating this emotion. And, you, you know, it may or may not surprise you that some people have never had the emotion. It depends on how you've been raised and whether you were in a family that allowed you to produce these emotions. So there's no time like the present to start again, though, with this. So the exercise, now that you've, revised your life, you've restored your life through all of these previous qualifications and, and uh, experiences. Now is the time to systematically generate this emotion. And uh, having gone through those preliminaries, it'll be a lot easier. So you can start with, uh, you know, you visualize uh, an innocent child. Sometimes you can do it with yourself as a child. You can imagine yourself as a child. How totally dependent you are on your, your parents or your guardians or your older siblings. And when you're three years old, you, you, you cannot navigate the world. You're just open, innocent, uninformed. And you there are large beings around you that, that have miraculous capacities to make things appear toys, food, whatever, quite astonishing. But remember yourself as this little three-year-old. Love yourself as this little three-year-old as well. And all through there, it doesn't, you know, you don't suddenly get all wise, even as you grow up. Just imagine, remember being 18. <laughs> Some of you are not 18 yet, perhaps. <laughs> uh, it'll pass, don't worry. <laughs> uh, you are still, uh, all the way along, um, you are learning and growing and you should, you can go back at any stage of your life and really just see what you remember, what you didn't understand, what you didn't know and have sympathy for that. And what is it you're supposed to be? What is this thing called loving kindness? Remember the phrase, 
in gladness and in safety, may you be at ease. This is it. It's quite, it's safety is the thing. Like, may no harm come upon you. May you be safe, warm, uh, taken care of, and taking care of yourself and uh, inviting others to take care of you as well and taking care of others as well. This is uh, the, the condition which the heart rejoices in. And it's a very powerful, powerful emotion. It has all the kinds of supernatural uh, abundance to it. It changes all situations, even the most desperate situations, including being near death, including when you're in deprivation, when you're in danger, when you're sick, all of those things. And it comes to your rescue and it tells you something that everything is okay, that in the midst of this, you're safe. Now it's strange because on a linear logical basis, when you're desperately sick, and of course we're in the midst of this <laughs> worldwide pandemic, and a lot of people are desperately sick. It's good if, if they heard these words first. You don't wanna be plunged into this, and this can happen to anybody at any time. You get plunged into the desperate depths of, of illness. It is much better that you practice this ahead of time so that it does come to your rescue. And you're not, it, so that it's fluent and that it comes to your rescue when you're weak and sick. It's probably not the time to start the project. And it will tell you in the midst of this, it will, it tells you the deeper truth of things and transcends it. So it transcends this imminent death, it transcends the loss of health, it transcends uh, poverty, it transcends loss, it transcends all these things. So it, it, this is a, your ultimate Swiss army knife is loving kindness. It is a little tool for, <laughs> to deal with everything. Even if you get, you get locked out of your house, loving kindness. <laughs> it, there is a way to get in. The house that you get locked out of is, is the house of love. There's a beautiful saying, uh, I think it's by Robert Frost. He was talking about this idea of home. Where, where is home? Home is the place where when you gotta go there, they gotta take you. And not everybody has that. They don't have a place where people have to take you, but you better make your own home. You better, when you gotta go there, you gotta take you. That you never get locked out of this place. And so that this, this strategy, this exercise, this, you know, pouring uh, a lot of time and effort into this skill is really worth it. You are building a home where when you need it, it's always there. So this is the nature, uh, and this is what a supposedly a, a, an ideal family is as well. Ideal friends is they welcome you and uh, under all circumstances. And sometimes you, you're not doing so well, but you need a place to go. And this is, this is, you are always accepted in loving kindness. So loving kindness is not you, it's something impersonal that 
humans can do. And you find out that this is a, a universal practice and all of the systems in your, within your body and mind will respond to this. You will be welcomed in if you cultivate this and you will be asked to stay as long as you want. And you should actually be a good guest and actually take up the invitation. Stay there. You will never be kicked out. You never um, overuse your, your invitation to loving kindness. You're always welcome there. And so this is, this is something you, you need to inspire yourself. You need to talk to yourself this way and you need to find words. And there are many words from all kinds of traditions that encourage this. I would say that perhaps only in Buddhism though, that you find an absolute no conditions. You'll find in the other religions and certain philosophies that loving kindness is extended to um, mostly in the human dimension, but often no mention about animals or anything else. So I would say that this is, uh, does not have any boundaries to it. Good wishing. One time uh, I was uh, in the monastery in Thailand and I was washing my bowl after the meal on the sidewalk. And I guess it was at probably after an all night sitting and I, I was feeling very mellow and, and tired as well. And I was uh, watching an ant come along the cement where I was, I was sitting on the cement wa washing this bowl. And I suddenly had this flood of, of well-wishing for this ant. You know, monks are not to uh, kill uh, even insects, nor uh, harm them. And the monk's life in the forests of the tropics, uh, for instance, in uh, Thailand, is full of ants. <laughs> ants of every type, small and medium and large. And they all bite you. <laughs> they all distress you. They all are invading your space. You're constantly in a, in a kind of a systematic territorial dispute with ants. And uh, when you become a monk, you, you are strongly, you know, committed to this non, you, you watch very carefully where you step, you don't step on them and so forth. And you, and it's not easy at first, you know, you're, you don't actually have a lot of fellow feeling for these ants, but uh, you're, you're bound by these, this commitment not to kill. But there I felt maybe for the first time, just a real opening of, I suddenly empathized with the ant. I, I thought this ant has to go out every day into the world by duty for its for its fellows. It doesn't have an individual life. It has a life of the colony. It has a group life and it has to risk its life every single day, maybe a hundred times a day, because being at that size, you are at the mercy of everything. Just anything can just squash you. Birds want to eat you. All kinds of beings want to eat you, but you can't stay home afraid. You must, you must venture out into that. And by the way, ants do have fear. <laughs> they don't want to die. 
This is something the Buddha says as well. All beings tremble before violence. They fear their death. And you can see it. The ant will scurry away. Anything comes to endanger that they run for it. They don't want to die. And there's a, we have a lot in common. <laughs> I didn't want to die either. And I, I, I didn't want to be squashed, broken, smashed. <laughs> yeah. We understand each other. You know, we, I don't carry them around in my pocket. I don't, I don't even make a picnic for them. And well, actually, sometimes we do. Even feeding the ants, sometimes. Uh, you, you know, of course, there's a lot of delight in feeding the, feeding the birds, feeding the squirrels, feeding people, feeding everybody, actually. Yeah. But it was enough to have the f sudden feeling. It was quite a startling thing to s just out of nowhere, just feel like, you know, a full sympathy for this tiny being having to make its way in the world and, uh, and very clearly demonstrating that it is trying to stay alive. Not only that, it's trying to get some food because no being lives without food. And this is another uh, universal that the Buddha talks about. And he, I think he gave this talk to some children. He asked, what is the one thing? And I like, sometimes I give talks to, to children as well. And I like to give them this puzzle. What's the one thing? One thing, like the moon or what? <laughs> they, they guess. The one thing that all beings need. And then they, then they kind of zone in on it. And eventually we finally arrive at food. And it is, there is no being in this universe. One way or the other, you have to imbibe energy. Some form of energy has to enter you. And you will, there's not a being in this universe that's exempt from that. And when we eventually encounter, uh, from the scientific view, the other, be other beings on other planets, the little green men, whatever they are, they will eat. <laughs> I guarantee you, no one is outside the law of the universe. Everybody needs to eat. This is uh, an injunction in, in all of the major religions is feed the stranger, feed the guest. And you will see this as an imperative. Of course, uh, as a monk and having to be committed to this idea that you're not to grow your own food prepare your own food, get, store your own food, buy your own food. Every day of my life, I have to be like an ant. I have to go out and somebody has to give me food. It's quite a situation to be in. But it's, it's to keep this fact in mind for humans. And sometimes they forget this. There's another saying by the Buddha, what's the worst illness? And I also give, sometimes I, teach at schools, like I, I'm invited to give a talk to the grade eights or the grade 12s. And I say, what's the, I say, what's the worst illness? What's the worst illness? Hunger is the worst illness. Why? Because we know the cure. <laughs> There's, the cure is known. And all beings absolutely need to eat. And they all feel bad when they don't. So this needs to be embedded in all human understanding. 
feed everybody. No one goes without food. Give that, and that's nourishment, and that's also love. So that's there's a lot of the the sharing of food is the way that people share love and love and warmth and serenity, as the title of this whole retreat is, serenity, friendliness, warmth in the midst of winter. Uh, this is all that keeps things together. I, in a very deliberate way, have plunged out into winter outside and spent weeks sometimes alone outside in the cold just to test my system. Can you be alienated? Can you be alone? Can you have minimal food and still stay warm? You can, but there's other people who are living in mansions who are ice cold. They are without serenity. They're without warmth. They're without friendliness. They, they lack that, and that's a shame. Uh, you don't, you're not being fed. So love is food as well. So food is love, love is food. And later on, as I mentioned before, one of the expressions of loving kindness is the squeeze of milk from the, the cow's udder. If you can generate loving kindness for one squeeze of milk, remember they didn't have watches at the time, there were no seconds. It was just a squeeze from the, the udder of the cow. That's the squeeze of human kindness, the milk of human kindness, and nourishment. This is what you experience with your mother, the baby with the mother, there is no life. The baby has no life without the mother. And this is the interaction, she feeds. And she is fed by the, the, the experience, the loving kindness. So we, this uh, simile for food and love, it all gets mixed together. And certainly it's not just a simile, it's literal too. Every day I get my food off. This is a very incredible experience. You really must one day ordain as a monk for 30 years or so. You really must try it. Uh, the incredible kind of warmth of, of just people being delighted to offer you food. It is just an incredible thing. Now, if I wasn't a monk, I think I would, I would like to do, you know, offer them food as well, but I'm a monk and I can't offer them food. So I have to just simply receive this, but it, it's just heartwarming to, to, to be in this, this relationship, like as if everybody's your mother, everybody's your, your father, your son, your, your, they're all, offering you this nourishment and they all recognize that this is this is another human and uh this is a delightful opportunity to share something this is this is the the outgoing the outpouring of loving kindness of friendliness uh, some people just uh love it they they get carried away there's a, a tradition in sri lanka one day of the year they bring all their best food out on stands like families and so forth, and they, no stranger can walk by without them being forced to eat. <laughs> so it's a day of feeding everybody. And of course there are, you, you see there are whole orders of Catholic nuns that do this every day, and uh, the, the Salvation Army and so forth. This is, this is a, a whole religions can be built around giving, making sure everybody gets fed. And this is absolutely noble. That's an exalted religious practice. 
is making sure everybody gets fed. We uh, monks, you know, we go and meditate and try to cultivate the higher mind, but it's also an exalted thing to just be, uh, use your spiritual practice simply feeding everybody. Uh, uh, very high, very profound. So I will uh, I'll leave this for today. We're almost halfway through this sutta, so I look forward to uh, the next few opportunities to talk about it.